That's awesome. Man, I tell you, it's so cool to see you parents make that uh, decision and take that step. And we, we applaud you and we want to walk alongside you in that. So really cool. Uh, we started uh, a couple of weeks ago talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We're in this series uh, that we're calling The Forgotten God. We're talking about who the Holy Spirit is and the, and the work that he wants to do in our lives. And we kind of got into this little mini section of this series on the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives uh, nine character qualities and that he says, you know, once you submit your life to Christ and you begin to, as he, he calls it, uh, walk in the Spirit, that you no longer walk in the flesh, but you begin to walk in the Spirit, he says that the Holy Spirit then will begin to develop these character qualities in your life. I want to look at them real quick in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, if you've got your Bibles. We'll put it up on the screen as well. But Paul says this. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, we could just stop right there. Paul, Paul uses the singular, the fruit is, and he says that that fruit is, the primary fruit of the Spirit is going to be love. The greatest call upon our lives, what we've been commanded to do, the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and then love our neighbor as ourselves. And so everything that comes after love in this list is actually an outflow of love. So he says, out of, out of the outflow of love, he says, then there's joy and peace and, and forbearance, which is patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, for the past couple of weeks, we've kind of focused in and honed our attention on the fruit of love. This morning, we're going to shift a little bit, and I want to talk to you this morning about joy. Anybody here uh, like to have more joy in their lives? Man, yeah, I would. I'll take all the joy I can get. I can't get enough joy. In fact, given the choice, I'd rather be joyful than not have joy. I'm just funny like that. But, but I, I would like joy. I believe we all would like more joy in our lives. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you a few tangible ways that we can cultivate joy in our lives. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, it's his fruit. So it's something that he puts in us. It's not something that we can put in ourselves or do ourselves. But we do have a responsibility in it, and that is that whatever the Holy Spirit puts in us, it's our responsibility to cultivate it, to create an environment where the Holy Spirit can grow that in us. And so I'm going to give you some ways that you can cultivate the, the, the gift of joy. A few years ago, uh, the, the UN did this worldwide study, and the study was they, they were kind of trying to measure the level of happiness in various countries around the world. And what was really interesting, and I think revealing as well, is that as a result of this study, one of the things that they discovered, as, as it pertains to us as Americans, is that when compared to other countries in the world year after year, that we Americans are continually, increasingly more and more unhappy. Isn't that, isn't that something? We, given all of the things that we have access to, 
all of our wealth and all of our opportunity, and yet rather than our level of happiness growing, research has shown that it's actually trending in the opposite direction. Now, they, they, they suggested a number of different reasons as to why this is taking place, but, but really the number one reason that researchers kind of landed on is that they said that here in America we have become what they called a mass addiction society. In other words, by and large, we have developed a myriad of addictions that wind up controlling us. Of course, we're, you know, addictions to substances, but, but also uh, addictions to things like gambling and addictions to sex and addictions to food, addictions to spending, addiction to power. All of these things, all of these addictions that control us, and regardless of what they are, the one thing that they have in common is that the root of all these addictions, regardless of what they are, is really two things. First of all, they, they, they really are, are the root of it is our um, insatiable appetite for more. We're, we're just a people who are never, we just want more. We're not satisfied. We, and, and what once brought us pleasure, it just doesn't do it anymore. And, and so we're always seeking, you know, that something more, that, that next level that we think will bring us pleasure and satisfaction. The, the second root of, of, of this um, is our unhealthy obsession with pleasure. We, we come on, we're, we live in a culture where uh, we place an incredibly high value on achieving personal pleasure. That's like the end goal, man. It's just whatever that is to make myself feel better. And so we, 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 we seek what we think is going to bring pleasure into our lives. Now, the problem with all this is that in spite of all the so-called pleasures that we have unlimited access to, Rather than causing our level of happiness to increase, what's happened is it's actually done the exact opposite. It, is, it has resulted, this pursuit of more, this pursuit of pleasure has actually resulted in our being less happy. I see it over and over again. People, you know, they, they invest their entire lives on things that they're convinced are gonna bring satisfaction. If I could just achieve this, if I could just do this, if I could just have this, if I could possess this, if I could have this relationship, if I could do this thing, then it's gonna bring satisfaction. And what I've seen over and over and over again is that once we get those things or achieve those things, we discover that there's still something missing, that it didn't accomplish what we thought it was gonna accomplish. This is why what Paul says here in Galatians chapter 5 is really good news for us. Because he says this. He says, you're not going to have to achieve anything. You're not going to have to chase after anything. You're not going to have to, uh, you know, accomplish anything. He says that one of the things that the Holy Spirit will do for us and in us is the Holy Spirit will bring us joy. It's a Holy Spirit that brings us joy. 
Now, for the sake of clarification, I, I want to, I think it's really important that we make uh, a differentiation between happiness and joy because uh, those two words are kind of interchangeable. They become interchangeable in our culture. And the reality is that joy is very, very different than happiness. And so for the sake of our discussion this morning, I want to just give a couple of definitions for joy and happiness. First of all, a happiness could be defined like this. Happiness is simply a positive emotion. It's this emotional experience that we get based upon a circumstance that is happening to us or around us. In other words, if something out here happens that I perceive as good, then it causes an inward reaction or a euphoric feeling in me. I, I just, I feel good because of what happened out here. So, so like when my boss gives me a raise, then I feel good about that. Or when my, my spouse or my kids do something or perform in a way that I expect them to or want them to, I feel good about that. Or when I accomplish something that I wanted to accomplish, uh, or when things go my way, then I'm happy. Which, which, come on, that's a natural reaction for all of us. And there's nothing wrong with that. The truth is, I like for things to go my way. I would rather have things go my way than not go my way. Come on. We're all like that. That's a natural reaction. Here's the problem with happiness. That if it takes things going my way to make me happy, then guess what happens when things don't go my way? I ain't happy. I mean, when instead of getting a raise, I get fired. Or instead of doing what I want them to do, my wife or my kids don't do what I want them to do. Or, or, or you know, I find out that the transmission goes out on my vehicle and it's going to cost me a bunch of money that I don't have. Not one of those circumstances would make any of us happy. If it does, you're just weird, man. <laughs> wouldn't make us happy. The, the, the prefix of the word happy is the word hap, it's, it's, it's where we get the word happenstance. So happiness, it, it's, you know, it's happenstance, it, it just so happened. It, it, you know, such and such just so happened, and so I feel good or I don't feel good. So happiness, by definition, is completely dependent on hap is chance. It means chance. So it's completely dependent on, you know, whatever by chance happens to us. Now, I'm not railing against happiness. I would much rather be happy than not happy. And so happiness is a good thing. However, given the choice, I would much rather have joy. I mean, joy is such a greater thing than happiness because joy, unlike happiness, is not dependent upon whatever happens to me out here, but rather it is dependent on who lives in here. It's not dependent on what happened out here. It's dependent on what's happened to me in here. That's where true joy comes from. In fact, if I were going to define joy, I would define it like this, that joy is simply this ongoing internal sense of delight regardless of my outward circumstances. 
That's joy. Joy is not impacted by what happened out here. The Apostle Paul, in, in his letter to uh, the church in Philippi, he talks about this in his own life. And in, in chapter 1, he begins his letter to the church in Philippi, writing about all this joy that he has. He's, he's just rejoicing over and over and over again. He's just so full of joy. By the way, guess what Paul's external circumstances are? He's actually, the occasion of this writing, he's writing this letter from prison. He's writing, he's in prison, in chains. He, he's been arrested for not, you know, not for stealing or for murder or anything that he's done wrong. He's been arrested and in prison simply for sharing the love of Jesus. And so he's been beaten, he's in chains, and yet here he is, he's writing about how much joy that he has. How can that be? Well, I believe that the answer is found in Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 1611 simply says this, that in his presence is fullness of joy. In his presence. Who's, who's his? Jesus, right? In the presence of Jesus. In other words, when we allow Jesus to fill our lives with his presence, when we continually seek his face, when we carve out time to just spend time and be in his presence, the natural byproduct of being in the presence of Jesus is joy. Because wherever Jesus is, there's joy there. There's just joy in his presence. And so I, I, I say that because I want to make this very clear before we get too far into this, that the kind of joy that we're talking about this morning, since it is directly connected to Jesus, what that means is that it is impossible for a person not connected to Jesus to experience this kind of joy. It only comes through connection with Jesus. In fact, without Jesus, joy doesn't even make any sense. I mean, happiness we get, we understand happiness. When good things happen, the natural response is we feel good about it, we get happy. But how in the world can anybody have a sense of delight when bad things are happening? I mean, how can a person have joy in prison? How can a person have joy in poverty? How can a person have joy in sickness? How can a person have joy in death? As a pastor, over the years, I have watched person after person after person, many people approach death. And let me just tell you this, that one of the things that I've noticed is there is a massive difference in how someone who knows Jesus approaches death versus somebody who doesn't know Jesus. It's noticeable. This, this past Friday, some of you may have heard this, but after a long battle with pancreatic cancer, uh, pastor and author Tim Keller entered into eternity. And I was reading about his passing, and uh, three days before he passed, knowing that the time was near, he was having this conversation with his son, and his son said that his dad looked at him and he said, you know, son, I can't see any downside to death. He said, I'm thankful for all the people who have prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time that God has given me. 
But he said, son, I'm just ready to see Jesus. I just, I just want to see, I just can't wait to see Jesus. Now, for somebody without Jesus, to hear that, to hear, I can't see any downside to death, that makes absolutely no sense. But when Jesus is in the picture, even death becomes different for us because Jesus brings joy. So the question is, how can we cultivate that kind of joy in our lives? Once we, obviously, again, it begins by surrendering your life to Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus, but then how can we cultivate the joy that the Holy Spirit wants to, to give in us or, or put in us? So in Philippians chapter uh, uh, 1, Paul gives us four ways that I want to go over real quick. And so if you're a note taker, you might want to write these down. But the first one that Paul says is that joy comes when we intentionally focus on the good things that God has done for us. Here, here's what Paul says. He says in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit more in-depth uh, uh, background of Paul's experience in Philippi. You can read it for yourselves in Acts chapter 16. But Paul and Silas go to Philippi, and they're there on the Sabbath, and Paul goes outside the city gates, and he's looking for a place to pray. He goes down to the river. He sees a group of people down there, and he does what he always does when he goes into a place. Everybody he encounters, he just begins to talk about Jesus. And so he's telling them about Jesus, and some of the people there make the decision to follow Jesus. They surrender their lives to Jesus, and he baptizes them right there in the river. And then over the next several days, those people go telling their, tell their friends about Paul and about Jesus, and a number of other people give their lives to Jesus. But there's this one slave girl who, Scripture tells us, is possessed by a demon. And her owners have been making all of this money off of her because she has the ability uh, to tell people's fortunes. And so this girl, she starts following Paul and Silas all around, and everywhere they go, she is, and she, she's shouting out loud at the top of her lungs, these men are servants of the Lord Most High, and it's drawing all of this attention upon Paul and Silas, and it's really unwanted attention at this point. And this goes on for days and days and days until finally Paul has had his fill of it. And so he turns to the girl and he casts the demon out of her. Now, you would think that when this happens, everybody would be like, man, that's awesome. Wow, you know, here this girl was. She's oppressed and now she's been delivered. She's been set free and it's awesome. You would think that. But that's not what happens. In fact, the, the, the owners of this girl... They get mad because they've had this source of income through her that's now been taken away. And so they drag Paul and Silas before the magistrate. And they say, man, you, you guys got to do something about these guys because they're trouble. They're messing people up. And if you don't do something about it, you're going to have some major problems on your hands. And so without any kind of proper trial or anything like that, they have Paul and Silas flogged, whipped, and thrown into jail. And, and so I want you to picture this. Here's, here's Paul 
sitting in this dark, damp cell. His back is bloody and raw. His hands and his feet are shackled. He's sitting there. And, and think about it. Was he happy? I'm guessing no. I'm guessing he wasn't happy. But guess what? He still has joy. In fact, when I imagine this in my mind, I imagine Paul looking over at Silas, and he's like, you know what, Silas, this really is messed up. I mean, what's happened to us, it really is messed up. And I don't know about you, but my back is killing me, and I hate these chains. But I, I don't know what it is. I just, I just can't help it. I just, I, I keep thinking about that day when I was on the road to Damascus, and I was, I was lost, man. I was messed up, and I, I was deceived. I was so full of hate, and I had murder in my eyes. Then all of a sudden, Jesus showed up. And he didn't condemn me. He, 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 he loved me and he forgave me and he chose me and he sent me. And I just can't help it. Every time I think about that, every time I think about all that Jesus has done for me, my heart is so full of joy. And then when I imagine it, I imagine that he turns to Silas and he begins to sing. Maybe he sings, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaken. I've never been more glad because I put my trust in Jesus. He's never let me down. He's faithful for generations. So why would he fail now? And Silas looks at him and goes, he won't. He won't, he won't fail, he won't. He probably sang it way better than that. (laughs) Most of you know the story that as they begin to sing, those songs of praise actually reach the throne room of heaven. And, And God hears, it touches his heart, and he sends an earthquake, and the prison doors swing open, and their chains fall off. It's amazing what happens when we choose to praise. And their chains fall off, and Paul and Silas not only walk out in freedom, but they wind up leading the jailer and his entire family to Jesus. It's this amazing story, but the whole point is that Paul says, whenever I think back to what happened to me in Philippi, I thank God for it. My heart is filled with such joy. Now I think about that and I think that, you know, if it would have been most of us and we would have been in that situation, most of us would have been like, man, every time I think of Philippi, I remember that place. I remember what they did to me there. I I remember that's where they abused me. I remember that's where they did me wrong. I remember that's the place they mistreated and they hurt me. I mean, come on, that's human nature, right? The, the reality is that, that, that the negative and the nasty typically, typically carries way much more weight than the good and the positive. But, but listen, here's the problem. Whenever, whenever you choose to hang on to hurt, 
And you rehearse it over and over and over in your mind. You've got to understand that you are also choosing something else. You're also choosing a life without joy. Whenever you hold on to hurt, you, you, you can't have both. You, you, can't, you can't, bitterness and joy cannot exist with each other. Whenever you continually replay in your mind that, you know, that wrong that was done, that, you know, what happens is the hurt gets deeper and deeper embedded into your heart, and the reality is it becomes more and more a part of you. You begin to become defined by something that happened to you. And we talked about this last week, but, but bitterness and unforgiveness it really has no impact on the person that hurts you, but it has a huge impact on you. It has a huge impact on not, it has no impact on the person who used to be in your life in the past, but it has a massive impact on the people who are in your life now and the people who are being in your life in the future. And so Paul says, he says, listen, if it's up to me, I ain't gonna live like that. He says, I'm, I'm, it was for freedom's sake that I was set free. And so I'm going to choose to focus on the good. I'm going to give thanks to the good. I'm not going to focus on the one who betrayed me. Instead, I'm going to thank God for all the ones who gave their lives to Jesus as a result of what happened to me. I'm going to give thanks to those who came alongside me and supported me and loved me, even in the midst of all the yucky stuff that was happening in my life. Paul chooses to focus on the good, and as a result of that, he experiences what he calls great joy. Number two, joy not only comes when we, we focus on the good that God has done in our lives, but joy comes when we recognize that God is not finished with any of us. In other words, joy comes as a result of showing other people grace. Look at verse 6. Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I, I, I wonder what would happen if instead of always thinking critically and negatively about people around us, I wonder what would happen if instead we just... We just chose grace. What, what, what would happen if, you know, we just thought, you know, you know what? The people around me, they may not be perfect, but God ain't done with them yet. They may not have it all together, but God's still working on them, just like he's still working on me. In other words, what if we just viewed the people around us the same way that God views us? With grace. I, I think what might happen is that rather than being frustrated with people all the time, we might just have more joy. L listen, there, there is joy that comes when I know and accept that it is not my job to fix everybody around me. Some of, some of you came just for that. You needed to hear that. It is not your job to fix everybody around you. Fix yourself first, man. And we, we can't even fix ourselves. It's God's job to do that. And here's the deal. The promise is 
What God has started, he will complete. So we just look at them and say, you know what? Man, what, what would happen if we look, look at all the things that God has already done in their lives? If instead of being critical and complaining, what if we just looked at it and said, man, look how far they've come. Look at how God has worked in their lives and look how he's changed their lives. Here's a novel idea. What if rather than criticizing people, listen, it takes absolutely no talent to criticize. It does, zero talent to criticize people. It takes great faith to see people with eyes of grace. And so what if rather than criticizing what people aren't, what if instead we just decided to pray for them? What if we just did that? What if we began to declare over them who we knew God had created them to be? What, what, what if we just began to declare over their lives what we knew God wanted for their lives? What if we took and as we read the word of God and we found all of these great promises that he has for us, we just began to declare those promises over the people that irritate us? What if we just began to do, I think two things would happen. I think number one, God would continue to accelerate the growth that he's doing in the other person because God answers prayer. But two, I think he'd just give us more joy. We'd have more joy in our lives. All right, third thing about joy is that joy comes at a deeper level when we invest on purpose, intentionally, invest in relationships with other believers. In verse seven, Paul says this. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you. How does he feel? Full of joy. So it's right for me to be full of joy since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you. I just wanna be with you with the affection of Christ. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, man, I just can't help. I love you people. I love being around you. You're special to you, me. You mean something to me. And even though it's true, Paul says, I've had some hard times. I'm so thankful because I don't have to go through these difficulties alone. You're there with me. In the hard times you're there, in the good times you're there, we've celebrated together, we've laughed together, we've cried together. And he says, because of all that, it is right for me to feel this way about you, joyful. Listen, this is why it's so important that we include the right people in our lives. We we surround ourselves with the right people. Somebody once said that you are the sum of the five people you spend the most of your time with. And so if you spend most of your time with hurtful, negative people, guess what? You're going to gravitate towards that. You're going to be negative. You're going to be hurtful. It'll rub off on you. But in the same way, if you spend the majority of your time with positive, encouraging people, that will rub off on you too. A few years ago, there was a, a Harvard study that was done on... Um, the, the components that lead to a higher level of life. And, and one of the things that they discovered was that people who reported going to church every week but said they had no close friends in church were not any happier than the people who didn't go to church at all. 
That's interesting. They, they also found that if you compared two people with the same number of close friends, some, some had close friends inside the church, and th- th- these people had close friends outside the church, that the ones with relationships in the church reported being much happier than those who, rela- who had relationships outside the church. In, in other words, what they discovered was that people get more satisfaction out of their church friendships than out of their friendships anywhere else. In fact, after this study was done, one of the researchers made this comment. He said, I've never been a religious person, and so I was surprised, but it did make me think, maybe I'd be happier going to church. And then he said, I know my mom would be happier if I went to church. And I'm sure she would. But it would also give him more joy. Because that's what we're created for, to build relationships with each other, to do all of the one another's, to love one another, support one another, encourage one another, be there, care for one another. All right, last one. Paul says that joy comes when you pray for each other. Now, I could have just stopped like joy comes when you pray. (laughs) But, But there's an added level of joy that comes when a person prays for somebody else. In, in fact, I would say this. If every time you pray, all your prayers are about you, then you are missing a deeper level of joy in your life. If every time I close my eyes to pray, everything is centered around, Lord, help me with this, uh, keep me from that, give me this, be with me here, and they're all me-centered prayers, and I never pray for anybody else, then I'm missing out on a deeper level of joy in life. Now, don't ask me to explain why that is, because I can't. I just know it's true. I know that there's something that happens when we get outside of ourselves and we invest in the lives of other people. I love the prayer that Paul prays over his friends in Philippi. He, he, he really prays four things. In fact, I would encourage you that the greatest gift you could give somebody is simply to pray these four things over them. In fact, I, I think we ought, to, we ought to pray this over each other. And this is something that I would, I would love if somebody would pray this over me. But, but Paul says this. He says the first thing to pray is, he says, I pray that you'll grow in love. In, in Philippians 1.9, he says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. He says, I pray that you would be so full of love, uh, full of the love of God, that it would just spill out of you. That every place you went, that there would just be, you know, that you would be dripping in love. It would just flow out onto the people around you. Paul says, I, I pray that your love might abound more and more with the knowledge and depth of insight. In other words, he says, I, I pray that you would not only understand what this love is, but you would have the wisdom to be able to express it in any given situation. That you might have discernment and knowledge to know how to demonstrate the love of Christ to the people around you. Paul says, I'm praying that you would be able to do that. Because here's the deal. Whenever you demonstrate Christ's love to people around you, what's going to happen is you're going to find a joy in your own heart that you've never experienced before. The second thing Paul says, he says, I pray that you would not only grow in love, but I pray that you'd grow in discernment. 
Philippians 1.10, that you may be able to discern what is best. And so Paul says, Lord, would you help my friends to know not just what is good, but help them to know what's best. Help them to know what's best in the way they spend their time. Help them to know what's best in the way they invest their energy. Help them to know what's best in the way they invest their financial resources. Don't let them just settle for good. Instead, help them to know what is best because when they do that, man, they're going to experience more joy. And then the third thing he says is he says, I pray that you'll be pure and blameless. He says may, may, uh, that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, the word that Paul uses here for pure is a Greek word that literally, literally means to judge by sunlight, and what he's referring to is, in that day, uh, pieces of pottery would be made out of clay. And, and sometimes, during the process of hardening the clay, they would put it in the fire and they would harden it, and the pot would develop a little hairline crack. And people who were unethical, what they would do is they would apply some wax to the crack so you couldn't see it. And it wouldn't immediately leak, but over time, because it had this hidden flaw then eventually it would show itself. And so in those days, the Romans, if you were, if you were a reputable pottery merchant, they would have you stamp the word Sinacera, which meant without wax. There were no cracks in it. Of course, Sinacera is where we get the word sincere, Right? It means, it means that it's genuine. It's the real deal. And so Paul says this, I pray that you would be sincere. I, I, I pray that there wouldn't be any cracks in your life. I pray that you wouldn't be fake or you wouldn't pretend covering up things that, that are not pure and good and perfect. I, I pray that the outside of you is a reflection of who you really are on the inside. And then the last thing he says is he says, I pray that you'll be blameless. That, that there wouldn't be anything in the way that you live your life that would cause anyone else to stumble. He, he, he says, pray this, number four. He says, pray that you will be, I pray that you'll be fruitful, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. The, the word that Paul uses here for filled, it, it's not the idea of just like a glass being filled to the full. In the original Greek, it's the word pleroo. Which what it means is it's the idea of like wind feel, filling the sail of a ship. It, it, it's it's um so it's not only filling, but when the wind fills the sail, it's driving, it's pushing, it's controlling, it's causing movement. And so when Paul says uh, he uses this word to fill. It's kind of like when the Bible says the Pharisees, when they heard Jesus speak, they were filled with anger. They had so much anger that it caused, it just moved them. It drove them. They were dominated by it, controlled by it. And in the same way, Paul says, so my prayer for you is that you would be so filled with God that, that would ha you would be driven by God. You'd be controlled by God. You'd be controlled by the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit. You would be controlled by, driven by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I pray that you would be filled with all of those things. 
And, and so, because it's, it's, it's my desire that every one of us experiences this kind of joy, a joy that flows from a relationship with Jesus, a joy that isn't here one second and gone the next second, joy that isn't based on what's happening out there, then what I want to do this morning in closing, I'm going to invite Brian to come, and I just want to pray over you the prayer that Paul prayed over his friends. So I want to invite you to stand this morning and just bow your heads and close your eyes. And If there's anybody in this place that you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, man, there's no better time to do that right now. And it's really as simple as a decision, a choice to say, Jesus, I just invite you in. I want to give my life to you. I want to follow you. And so this morning, if you've never done that, I just want to give you an opportunity real quick to do that. And we're not going to embarrass you anyway. I'm just going to invite you to, in the quietness of your own heart, to pray this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, today I receive you. I make that choice to receive you. I invite you in and ask that you would be the leader of my life and that you would so fill me that I would be driven by you, controlled by you, directed by you. Fill me with your joy. And so I give my life to you today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I pray that you'd lead me into the truth and show me what it looks like to be one of your followers. Whatever that is, I just commit myself to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you, just, would you just signify that by lifting your hand up and we're not gonna call you out? Yeah, yeah. You can put your hands down. And Father, this morning as I look over this group of people and my, my heart for them is, I think, the same that Paul's heart was for this group in Philippi. And so I just want to pray the prayer that he prayed over each one who is here today and those who are joining us online. I, I pray for every person in this room that their love might abound more and more in knowledge, not just knowing how much you love them, but in depth of insight that you would show us how to take the love that we have received and express that to the people around us. And Father, I pray that each person in this room would be able to discern what is best, that we would never settle simply for what is good, but we would always reach for the best that you have for us. We believe that you're the God of abundantly, exceedingly more than anything that we could think of or imagine. And so, Lord, we don't want to be anybody who settles for anything but your best. Help us to understand what that is. I pray that you would help us to be pure, to live pure lives. And when we stand before you on that day of judgment, that you would be able to look at us and you would see that we did our best just to surrender to you and follow you and we would be pure and blameless in your sight. And then Lord, I, I pray that you would continue to fill us with the fruit of the Spirit the fruit of righteousness that only comes from you. and You would fill us with, with your love and your joy and 
your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your faithfulness and your self-control. More and more and more, develop your fruit in us. And we pray all this today in the strong and the powerful and the wonderful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You are